The alarm clock goes off in the morning. Are you going to hit the snooze button or are you going to get up and attack the deck? Compete in everything you do. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football. Let's dominate. Here's your host, Mitch Gerber. And just like that, we welcome you into season two of the Unrivaled podcast. Wow. What a crazy ride since that victory down in Dallas, Texas. We'll get to more of that in a moment, but welcome into the Unrivaled Podcast, episode number one, season two, the 29th show of all time for us. So appreciate everybody's support last season, and now we turn the page towards a new season. The Unrivaled Podcast is powered by Line Vision, the official sponsor of the Unrivaled Podcast. Before we get to our first guest of season two, who will be Howard Griffith of the Big Ten Network, and I promise you he's got he's got plenty to say about the Big Ten Conference and beyond, so stick around for that interview. But before we do that, I do want to provide a quick little timeline of what this Penn State football program has been up to since that Cotton Bowl victory down in Dallas, which seems like four years ago at this point. But nonetheless, January 3rd, Penn State hired New Jersey native Phil Troutwine for the offensive line position. January 19th, Penn State added Taylor Stubblefield as the new wide receivers coach. Stubblefield was a consensus All-American wideout as a player at Purdue and brings a wealth of knowledge to that position room. February 5th, National Signing Day Part 2 took place, and that's where the Nittany Lions added 27 new members to their family and wrapped all of that up after signing those 27 individuals, actually during the the December signing period. So February put a bow on all that stuff. Go ahead a couple of days to February 8th. That's where Penn State hired John Scott after Sean Spencer took a position with the New York Football Giants as the defensive line coach in New York. Towards the end of the month on February 24th, a couple of us headed down to Indianapolis for the NFL Combine. Those members being KJ Hamler, Yitor Grossmatos, Rob Windsor, Cam Brown, and John Reed as they tried to to improve their stock really for the NFL draft, which we had no idea what was about to take place next. March 10th, the Penn State men's basketball team headed down to Indy for the, the Big Ten tournament. The next 48 hours, if you remember... I think uh, the best word to describe that, chaos. March 11th, the NBA shut down, and that's when the the sports world, both in the professional and collegiate setting, was really flipped upside down. The Big Ten canceled their conference tournament the following day on the 12th. Penn State was sent home. No Big Ten tournament. No NCAA tournament. The list goes on and on at that point. Back to this Penn State football program, April 23rd. The virtual NFL draft started. Penn State had five players drafted in the 2020 NFL draft, making it 26 total Nittany Lions that have been drafted under head coach James Franklin since he took over here in Happy Valley. Go ahead a couple of months, and I know that was a there was a lot that took place in between April and July 9th. But July 9th, the Big Ten announced its members would participate in conference-only play. August 5th, Penn State received their revised football schedule as they were supposed to open up against Northwestern on September 5th. August 7th, Penn State started their fall camp for the 2020 season just on the horizon there. And then August 11th, the Big Ten announced no fall sports would take place. Here we are, first week of September. Man, oh man. What a crazy ride, huh? Now at the very end of the show, I want you guys to to stick around for a new segment that we call our Goal Line Stand. 
Good snap, put down, kick is up, the kick hits the upright, no good! The Nittany Lions come up with a goal line stand! Now what's the point of the goal line stand? Well, the goal line stand is for you guys to, to tweet me and share me the biggest thing that you took away from today's episode. We'll try to do that every single show. And now I'll pick up my favorite response and shout you out in the next episode of the Unrivaled Podcast. Tweet me at Mitch Gerber. Once again, that's at Mitch Gerber. All right, let's dive into today's interview with Howard Griffith, analyst for the Big Ten Network and a two-time Super Bowl champion with the Denver Broncos. Howard, appreciate you joining us on today's episode of the Unrivaled Podcast, but we just went through the timeline of Penn State's journey since they won the Cotton Bowl over Memphis on December 28th of 2019, and that seems, I don't know, all about six years ago at this point. But, But when someone looks at the history book 20 years from now, how would you describe the chapter of 2020? Jeez, I, I think it's still being written, right? I mean, um, you know, we still have a ways to go uh, to 2021, and things are so fluid right now that um, just when we think we might be making some progress, uh, we're having to pivot and go in a different direction. So I, I'd have to say it's still being written, but I can tell you this, up to now, it hasn't been good. <laughs> it hasn't been good in any way, shape, or form. Um whether you're looking at uh, the social justice, injustice, whether you're looking at politics, um, whether you're looking at college athletics, um, this has really been a trying year uh, for, for everyone. No doubt about that. Hopefully 2021 brings some more gifts for all of us in the world. But what have some of your conversations been like with Commissioner Warren and even some of the student athletes within this conference about what has taken place over the past six months or so? I mean, they're frustrated, and I, you know, I understand um, what these student athletes are, are, are going through. Um, to to have trained, to have worked as hard as you can, to put yourself in a position uh, to be able to go out and compete, and then to have that literally taken away from you, and not having a voice for that, it, it's devastating. You know, and, you know, no one's really, no one's happy about it. Uh, and, you know, there have been players that have decided to, you know, opt out because of health reasons. But the majority of, of our student athletes, you know, this is the way they're wired. Whether you're talking about or, you know, somebody in cross country, field hockey, you know, they're all wired one way to go out and compete. And that's what they know because that's what they've been doing for so much of, uh, of their life, of their short lifespan, is being competing, and not to be able to do that is is, is tough for them. And, and I think where where all our institutions have to be very vigilant is making sure that mentally uh, that they're supported. And, and I think obviously that's part of you know what the student athlete's family and even the student body in general have to be cautious and, and really vigilant and keeping an eye on. But this is this is going to be devastating. I think it's going to have you know, long-lasting consequences when we talk about mental health and you know what some of these young people are having to deal with up to this point. It, it, it's not going to be easy. And I just you know want to make sure and hope, hope that, you know, I know the conference is going to be doing a lot of things as far as mental health is concerned, but I think the boots that are on the ground and our member institutions, whether it's the trainers, whether it's the uh, sports um, uh, people that are handling things from a a physical standpoint, uh, are all 
really trying to be in tune with these student athletes because it's this is going to be a challenge for them. This is going to be a huge challenge. Howard, I want you to dive into that a little bit more because I think that's a note that a lot of people are missing on right now, the mental health aspect of all of this stuff going on, right? So you and I are frustrated because we can't go cover a football game. At the end of the day, that is what it is. But for these student athletes, coaches, administrators, and everybody else that's going through it at these institutions within the Big Ten, how have you seen that have an effect on those individuals within this conference on the mental health side of things? You know, I think it's, it's still, that's another one of those things that's going to continue to be written, right? Uh, and I think, um, and that's why you know, I made the comment, it's going to be so important uh, that the people that are on the ground that are there are, are really dialed into what's happening with these student athletes. And, and I, I'll give you an example, right? If, if you're involved in, if you're around someone who tested positive, uh, you could, test negative but because of contact tracing you also have to be uh put in quarantine so what is that what does that really mean well that really means that you're you're alone right so you you've been taken something's been it's already been taken away from you but now you're in a situation where you're having to spend 14 days in, in most parts of the country i believe that you're essentially alone that you're you know away from everything yeah you have a phone yeah, you, you've got your laptop and you can do some things like that. But it, when you're by yourself, your mind starts to do and, and start to want and wander. And, you know, those are things that, that have to be considered. And I know they are, but I think they're still not enough. I, I think we can accept and, and say that, you know, we're, we're trying to do the very best for our student athletes. We're doing the very best. But until you are that individual who is having to be quarantined for 14 days, who's having to have, and, and couple that with the fact that they're testing possibly negative, um, and still being in that, being in that situation has to be devastating from, from a mental standpoint, because again, they're in a situation where they're accustomed to going out and competing each and every day in practice. And you're telling me that, that I've done all the right things. I've, I've, tried to follow the protocols that are around, but because I was in close proximity uh, with someone, then I'm, you know, have to sit out 14 days. And that can be as frustrating as it could be for anyone. And, you know, those are some of the things that, that I think, you know, we have to continue to stay on top of and continue to be vigilant with. And we're meeting the needs, not only, um, you know, from a, a physical standpoint, but a, a mental standpoint, because me, that's the one that could have long lasting effects. And that's also the one that if we're not uh, vigilant on trying to make sure that uh, our young people are okay, that can continue to fester with no physical signs and maybe no mental signs. And then you get a couple of months down the line and, you know, you don't know what's happening. So we have to, you know, try to stay on top of the mental health aspect the best that we can um, as we move through this process. That's great perspective on the mental health side of things. Appreciate you sharing that with us, Howard. Now, you also have a unique perspective when it comes to the situation with what is the world today, being a parent and a former player. So you're you're a parent of a of a player that's playing elsewhere outside of the Big Ten Conference. And I know that you're getting questions as far as why is Houston, your son, their defensive back at Notre Dame playing this season? How do you combat that? Well, you know, no one's, I mean, I think on Twitter, they, they've asked me that question about, well, you know, how, how are you allowing your son to play? And, you know, the, the truth of the matter is he's 20 years old. 
And I, I don't know if a lot of people remember what they did when they were 20 years old, but I don't think there was a lot the parents were able to do. Particularly, you know, we can give him as much as advice, as much information as possible, and share our concerns with what's going on. But at the end of the day, he's going to go out and, and do what he wants to do. And, and I'm not saying that, that you know, he's just gonna, you're just being disrespectful and not paying attention to your parents. But I think what, what's lost in that is, you know, he, he's, you know, becoming a young man and you know, he's making decisions and, you know, he's going to heed our advice. But that doesn't mean that I can, we can sit here and say, Houston, you can't play football this year. I forbid you to play football. Okay. Well, you know, that doesn't necessarily work in the real world, at least uh, from my perspective. So, you know, it's about giving them the information as much as we have, uh, whether you agree or not. Um, you know, that's, that's, that's totally, you know, uh, up to other people, whether, you know, they, they think that I have the power to tell him he can and what he can and can't do when he's earned a football scholarship and he's done everything he's supposed to do from an academic standpoint to be able to go out and make a decision. Uh, so that's kind of, you know, where we've been. I mean, uh, you know, am I comfortable? No. And he knows that. And, but he's going to continue to try to push forward uh, because the school is, and that's what they're going to do. And, you know, try to hope that they, um, you know, make sure they're following the protocols, make sure they're doing all the things that they need to do. Uh, to try to stay as healthy as they can, but I think that's um, I, I would say it's a little bit of a little bit of a myth, and you know I think I know I know that the commissioner has gotten a lot of heat about you know his son being able to compete because he's in another conference as well, but but the reality is you, know, you can't you wanna you wanna put people or your children in a position to be able to to make the best decision that they can for themselves. Uh, and they're going to take your advice, but but I think it, it's not realistic to think um, that we would they be able to tell him he can't do this without having, and, and keep this also in mind, I still do not have all the medical information that, say, the conference commissioners have or the conference president. This is more of a gut feel. Everyone's, you know, all these parents are making what they feel is, is the right decision from what they know that's out in the public domain, but not everything is out there. And, you know, so it makes it very tough. So I can see exactly why parents would be in our conference and other conferences where football was taken away from, or in fall sports were taken away from these student athletes, how frustrating it can be because you don't have all the information that you feel that you have, or you don't have the same information that say the presidents and chancellors and commissioners had. So it's, it's, it's tough. And I think it's even tougher if you're, if you had a really, really good football team that was coming back with you, right? Cause you feel like you had a chance to go compete for a national title. Uh, and, and these kids, they know it. These coaches know it. The fans know it. And, that has a lot to do with wanting to be able to go out and compete at the highest level as well. That's some very valuable perspective for a parent of a current player in the NCAA landscape as well. But I think one of the frustrations for people still today is the fact that the Big Ten released a schedule six days later. The conference postpones the season. Is that still shocking 
Yeah, I, I, I am um, surprised just from a standpoint of we really don't have football. Now, I wasn't surprised at thinking that, you know, this was coming. I won't. I won't say I was surprised at that, but yeah, the schedule was released. But as soon as the schedule was released, uh, I think even during the the conversation about the schedule being released, that uh, the commissioner was very clear on uh, his comments about this does not mean that we are definitely moving forward. Um, and I, I understand the frustration there too because people say, "Well, you release the schedule and then." You release a schedule that was very flexible that could, you could move dates back and uh, move games back. And if games needed to be canceled, they could be plugged in in some other places. So the schedule, I think the schedule was fabulous the way it was laid out. And then six days later, um, the decision was made to postpone the fall sports. So, you know, I, I get it. I, I understand why people are, are still continuing to look for answers and, and try to find the best way. Um, to try to move forward and to get their um, sons and daughters back out on the the athletic field, and, and as you know, there there's Thanksgiving dates, there's spring football. There's, there's been so many things that are being bantied about and discussed. But I was having this conversation the other day. It, we don't know who's putting this stuff out. We don't know if these if it's a coaching group that's putting this out. Are there AD? We just don't know. We just there are a lot of thoughts that are being thrown around, and and I think that's good um, because you you know options are being put out there. But you know the people that have to be convinced are you know the people that are sitting in those presidents uh, in the president's office uh, in the chancellors. Those are the people that have to be convinced and. You know, I'm not so sure that, you know, that's going to be turned around anytime soon. With all that said and everything that's happened, you being a former player in this conference and at the highest of levels, winning a couple Super Bowls with the Broncos, if you put your hat on or your helmet rather, and you put yourself in the locker room here at Penn State, how do you continue to stay sharp right now if you're one of them? Yeah, that is a, that is a really, really good question. And to me, the way that is handled really starts with the person that is sitting in the corner office, your head coach. Is your head coach, and has he been a, a person who has been able to touch the buttons, who has been able to uh, motivate, uh, keep guys sharp, keep, keep people focused and dialed in? Those are the coaches that are going to be able to keep their players uh, as sharp as possible. Now, none of them are going to be able to have, uh, there's always going to be, you know, a few issues here and there what we're dealing with. But what I mean when you, when you, you know, Franklin is, is really good at, at, at understanding his players and being able to touch the buttons. And the other thing that's important to that is that he has a, a really outstanding um, you know, his his training staff is 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 really really good. Sports medicine, that uh, as far as getting the guys uh, athletically in shape, that's a really good department because those are the ones that are that are going to have to try to keep these guys motivated. When you, when you think about strengthening and conditioning, you know that 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 person that is running that is the one who has really the most contact 
with the student athlete. So he or she is going to know exactly what's going on most times before the head coach knows. Um, so those, those departments are going to be critical because the reality is they don't know, right? They have the same questions. They're, they're on Twitter, they're on Instagram, and they're seeing these questions that are being thrown around. They're seeing the comments today by the, you know, the president saying that he had a great conversation with Kevin Warren about getting football started immediately, right? So what does that mean? <laughs> what does that mean? So you're, you're up and down with that. But to me, the strength and conditioning departments, the truly great ones, the truly great ones that know how to communicate with their players are the ones that are going to be able to manage this the best. None of it's going to be perfect, though. But to me, those are the groups and organizations um, that, that know what they're doing. And, and I've spent time with a lot of the strength conditioning coaches around this conference and, and around college football. So I, I know what I'm looking for. And, and I would tell you that as a Penn State fan, alum, that you know Penn State has one that, that's outstanding, that, that department. So. I know they'll be ready, but I think ultimately it comes from the top. And Coach Franklin has to to keep everybody um, giving them as much information as they possibly can have, and try to keep them as sharp as they can have, because they've done a great job of uh, of recruiting. And I think that's also a big part of it. You know, if you're if you're a great recruiting institution or a great recruiting team, you you have the ability com- to communicate. So if you, you have those great communication skills, this is going to be another opportunity that you're going to have to, to plug in and use that, that technique and, and those abilities because it's going to be critical to answer all the questions uh, that our young people have uh, about what's happening, where we are, and, and how do we move forward and how do we stay engaged because that's the issue. You know, it's, okay, you've taken away fall sports. Why do I need to continue to wear a mask? Why do I need to continue uh, to social distance and follow the protocol when the season's been taken away from me? So you have to be able to, to, to keep them engaged and keep them sharp. And that's easier said than done. But, but again, I go back to if you have a, a, a great communication, great communication with your staff and the personnel that are your coaches and assistant coaches that are there, you, you'll have, a, I think, a better chance of keeping the young people engaged than if you're poor communicators. You mentioned the hot word for me, recruiting. And I know that a lot of people around the country are, are worried about the fact that the Big Ten's not playing this fall. And are they using our other programs around the country using that against them on the recruiting trail? And you and I both know that we've heard those rumors. Yeah. So what would your <laughs> counter be to somebody that has as somebody that has played in this conference and continues to represent it through the Big Ten network? Well, I think one of the things that, you know, you know, our 14 institutions are world-class institutions. Um, you know, I, I, is it going to be used? Absolutely, it's being used. No doubt about it. But I still find it hard to believe uh, that a person that is, is that is truly interested in, whether it's Penn State, Ohio State, Michigan, is going to be swayed ultimately by the fact that the Big Ten decided they weren't playing. And that's going to make sense. Oh, they're not playing, so they don't care about football. 
they're not going to care about you. If something like this happens, again, you're not going to be able to play. Then I would say, as that student athlete in that family, why would we even be thinking or that something like this would happen again? I mean, why, why is that your tact that you're using? You, you're saying, okay, we're going to have another pandemic and you're going to go play for an institution that, that's not going to want you out there. I mean, that, that's kind of, it's not kind of, it, it's really silly. But, you know, people do things and they're going to continue to do them. But I think that, I, I think that if, if you're doing the right thing as a staff, recruiting-wise, is this something you're going to have to answer? Yes, but I think there are much tougher questions that you need to be able to answer um, other than whether or not you think football is important. I think everyone that that follows Big Ten Conference or that's being recruited by uh, a school or institution in the Big Ten knows how important athletics are to the Big Ten uh, and and know how important that is. But I I don't think that someone that that is truly looking you know, say at Penn State and say another school in the ACC, that that's going to be swayed. They're going to be swayed by the fact that, you know, the Big Ten didn't play, uh, or at least is not scheduled to play this fall. We've got Howard Griffith for just a couple more minutes here. So I got a couple of off-topic questions from what we have been talking about, Howard. And one of those is NIL. And I think that funnels somewhat into what you were just talking about with more important issues. NIL meaning name, image, and likeness. How much of a differentiator do you think that's going to play for for the years to come? I think it's going to be huge. But I think it's going to be huge in a way that most people aren't even looking at. Right. I, I think when most people talk about uh, name, image, and likeness, they immediately think of the five-star, top-ten, quarterback, defensive end in the country. And, and yeah, that's going to be some things that are going on there, uh, some opportunities for those people. But I also think about the non-revenue sports. Um, I think about uh, some young people uh, that have built unbelievable brands to this point already. Because, uh, you know, they may have been a, a great gymnast, they may have been a great field hockey player, they may have been a great volleyball player, and have built brands and have people following them in that way. I, I think most people say, well, you know, the star quarterback's going to get, has a chance to get, you know, a big-time contract or a deal from a car dealer or some company in town, or they're trying to compare whether, you know, it, it's a company – say, and PA versus uh, someone that might be being recruited by um, USC out in California or somewhere in Texas. Yeah, I think a lot of that will go on uh, with our top stars, but I think there are going to be opportunities out here for for other athletes to be able to, to continue to build their brand, and I think that's going to be an important part of the recruiting process in what uh, universities and athletic departments need to be tapping into how to create brands, how to create, um, you know, some of the opportunities that could possibly be out there for these young people that come to their campus. So to me, it, it, that's going to be another area, area where I think you'll see some growth um, as far as staff are concerned. And, and I know in saying that, we also are going through what we're going through as far as the pandemic and you're seeing uh, you know, athletic departments having to trim budgets and look, think about how, you know, they're spending resources 
But I think as we continue to move forward, you're going to have to, to be able to help young people brand themselves. And I think that'll be a big part of what marketing teams are going to be involved in about what they do. Because, you know, you have some student athletes that, that come to campus, they show up and they might have 30,000 Instagram followers and, you know, or, or more. Right. And, you know, so there are going to be some opportunities that are out there. And, and to me, again, and going back to my original statement, I think there are opportunities. There, there are more opportunities out there than people are realizing because I think people are focusing on that top end athlete. I think that as you start to look around and you, you think about some young people that are creating t-shirt companies or, or creating, um, you know, whether it's a blog, whether it's it, wh- whatever it may be. Uh, that they may be creating and that they have a following for and they may have a paywall for people to get their information from them or to be able to buy different things uh, because they've endorsed, say, you know, whether it's a car dealership, whether it's a T-shirt line, whether a clothing line, there are going to be so many opportunities that are out there. And I think the the people that are able to tap into that early and, and understand what their worth is as far as a brand is concerned are going to be some of the ones that are, that are going to be able to, you know, not necessarily get rich, but be able to subsidize uh, their cost of attendance checks and, and be able to make some money that way. You would have been a, a big TikTok guy if, if you were in the president, <laughs> once you have. <laughs> I don't know about that, but <laughs> I would like to think I'd be able to do something. Right, right. All right, last thing for you, Howard. The Big Ten launched an anti-hate and anti-racism coalition to, to really spark the tangible ways to actively and constructively combat racism and hate around the world. Yourself, head coach James Franklin, and PJ Mustafer have been a part of that. Take us in the room. What have those conversations been like? You know what's really been fascinating um, for me is someone who's going on my 14th year of covering a conference and, you know, spend time around coaches and players and you've watched them, you know, develop. And then, you know, I, I think of, you know, like James Laurinaitis, for, for instance. Uh, we started the conference. We're covering him. Now he's, you know, working for the conference. So you, you for me, it's getting an opportunity to, to, to know a lot of these young people and watching them develop, have their pro career, and, and then come back to, to where we are and have a seat at the desk. But what I've been blown away with, so I know how impressive our, our football players have been, but to be on there uh, with volleyball players, field hockey, and, and specifically our, our female athletes, um, I've really been impressed with just how they've engaged and how they discuss, you know, what social injustices look like and the passion that they have for creating change. And they really, truly understand that the time is now and they know and feel that they have the backing and support of their coaches, of their, their institutions, who are not going to um, call them into the office and say, you know, I really appreciate you going out and wanting to protest, and I appreciate what you're saying on Twitter, but I don't really think we should be doing that right now. You should be more focused on your academics and your your athletic uh, career and kind of leave, you know, the politics and the protesting. You need to check that at the door. 
Well, we're not seeing that now. They're not taking uh, that old school approach that I think was there. They're, they're not taking that. And you're seeing the coaches embrace that. And so to me, one of the greatest things that's happened is that people have started to listen and wanting to listen. And I think those that are that are truly opening up their ears and hearing and seeing what's going on around them recognize really quickly that our young people that are at these institutions right now that are all part of this coalition are going to be dynamic leaders, not just because you can, you know, you're you're athletically inclined. But, but you have a reach and they're understanding how important their brand is to get the message out, whether it's voting rights, whether it's anti-hate, whether it's um, trying to uh, get, get their coaches to see some things that maybe they hadn't before. Uh, when, when you talk about being on a call where um, there may be an athletic sport that you have very few uh, brown and black people involved in them asking the question of how do we get more people involved? How do we get the community where our institutions have to uh, reside? How do we make it in such a way where the people that grow up in the community um, have an opportunity to come to call it Penn State, call it Northwestern, and really believe that they can go to one of those institutions, no matter what their economic background may be, if they work hard enough, they can get there. But I think part of that is them understanding, and I'm talking about the young folks are understanding that they can bridge that gap, that, that people look up to them, no matter what the sport is, and young people can dream. And they're wanting to have more inclusion. They're wanting to see more people that look like them, uh, as coaches, as administrators, because they can then say, okay, well, I have a chance to be an athletic director. I have a chance to be the head track coach. I have a chance to be the head uh, gymnastic coach. You know, there's so many opportunities that are out there, uh, and, and it's about being able to to see those visions and see those opportunities. So there's, there's a lot of that, that that's going on on these calls, and People are just wanting to know how they can ultimately have the greatest impact they can by using their name, by using their platform, and and making sure that you know that there's inclusion, and that inclusion may be on their own team, opening the eyes of of their fellow teammates that may have no idea what they're going through when they leave the campus and what, what they had to, to do to, to put themselves in a position to, to be at Penn State. The, thing, the sacrifices that, that mom and dad or just mom had to make and to get them there and, and to understand that they want to reach back and bring others along. So, you know, in short, being on this call has it, really been inspiring um, for me because I've been able to see what the next great leaders of our country are going to look like. And, and they're fearless. They know they have the power and, and they're going to use it. And, and that is awesome. And, and through this pandemic, um, through the social unrest that we've had going on through the country, 
to me, I, I think you asked me the question, you look back, uh, we're out 20 years from now and we look back and see what 2020 was like. I, I think one of the things that'll come from that is the great leadership that was developed through some unbelievable times and very difficult times uh, for our country uh, and for young folks. And that they've been able to become the great leaders that, that we need them uh, to be moving forward. Well, continue to ask questions, continue to listen, continue to learn. It's great to hear that all of that is taking place within those meetings. And Howard, really appreciate you stopping by on the Unrivaled podcast today. And well, I tell you what, as soon as this pandemic is done, I hope you guys come up here. We do a little tailgate action, a couple of interviews around the last football complex, and hopefully feel like life is back to normal again. Uh, yeah, I can't wait. Because coming to Penn State, uh, I know Donardo and I have a, a rest, and we've always had a great time uh, coming there and hanging out a little bit and making friends for the network and some of the local establishments. So we miss that as well. The only good thing about that, though, is I can actually fit my suits now. <laughs> Normally, there's a three-week window when we're traveling around uh, to all our, our, our schools that we eat and, and indulge way too much. So the only good thing is that, that I don't weigh as much as I normally weigh. <laughs> it's always a good thing. <laughs> always a good thing. <laughs> all right. How I appreciate your time. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, anytime. Good snap. Put down. Kick is up. The kick hits the upright. No good. The Nebula has come up with a goal line stand. It's time for our final segment of the day called Goal Line Stand. And if you missed it in the introduction of the podcast, the way that this is going to work is we're going to have 30 seconds of music in the background. And I'm going to at least try to share with you my biggest thing that I took away from today's episode. But I also want you guys to do so as well. So tweet at me your biggest takeaway at Mitch Gerber. Once again, that's at Mitch Gerber. And I'll try to feature my favorite response on the next edition of the Unrivaled Podcast. All right, so let's put 30 seconds of music up on the board. Here we go in three, two, and one. My biggest takeaway from episode one of season two of the Unrivaled Podcast with Howard Griffith was when I asked him about if you put yourself in the locker room here at Penn State right now, how do you move forward? He followed up with, great question, and it's really up to the person in the corner office, meaning head coach James Franklin. So my response If there's ever a time to fall back on those core values, it's now. We'll see you next time on the Unrivaled Podcast. Unrivaled, the official podcast of Penn State football.